I didn't say last week what I want to say um, now, and that is thank you for um, having me and being with me. And I want to thank uh, your ministry leadership um, for both bringing me, but also leading us last week, this week, and next week in the hearing of God's word. And I'm going to invite you in a moment to, to thank them. Uh, so, so if you need notice, I'm going to ask you to stand up and clap for them. So I'm giving you notice. But, but I want you just to think about specific ways your staff has um, uh, led you into the company of God lately. And, and I want you perhaps just to think of something very specific. I'm thinking about my being here and them leading us in the reading and hearing of God's word. But I want you to think about something that you know that one of your uh, leaders have done or all of your leaders have done. And I'm going to ask you to stand and applaud what God has done through them and thank them. So would you stand and thank your staff leadership? Thank you. specific things behind those hands. You know them and uh, don't lump them together when you hear them. And I say that to my colleagues and to you all uh, for your leadership. Um, everybody claps for a different reason. And um, thank you for what you're doing, the seen and unseen stuff. And I finally want to thank you for having me, being so nice to me. When people are nice, they don't have to be nice to you. That's what they used to say when I was growing up. And so for supporting me and my, not just my preaching, but my writing and bringing before the church uh, some of the things that I've said or tried to say. So I want to thank you. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, this, this is Advent, and uh, the mic works better, but now I might, I might hear the scratching. So James, thank you for leading us. And, Next week, I'm just going to shave my face and just, you know. Uh, um, uh, we, are, we are celebrating Advent again today. And Advent, as, as you've been hearing, is that season of waiting, hoping, and praying. Where we look for Jesus and where we anticipate Jesus. And one of the beautiful things about waiting and hoping and praying in Advent with, with other believers is that it reminds us how to do the waiting, the hoping, and the praying. I think that it's easy sometimes to do one and to lose our hands and our grip on the other. So that when we come together and we celebrate these, these moments, they, they really are many Easter Sundays, but, 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 but Sundays are also compressed Advents. So that, 
so that we get together as God's people and we remind each other of what it means to hope, what it means to wait, what it means to pray. It's important to hear that and to kind of hold that and in some ways buy it because because the truth of the matter is what we're doing in our sermons is just that. And that is reminding one another and being reminded by one another of the waiting, the hoping, the praying. We're, We're anticipating the coming of God in places in our lives where God has not yet come. So that that listening to Elizabeth or Joseph today or Mary next time is an exercise in anchoring ourselves in pre-God life. Pre-God in Christ life. Pre-God in Christ life in our lives. It's very true that we already have Jesus. So I'm not saying that Jesus hasn't come. I'm saying you're still waiting on places in your life, hoping for the coming of God in your life, seeking for the nearness of God in your life. And so you and I need people to guide us in that pre-God in Christ in our lives life. So that what happens on Sunday, when you sit next to your loved one, when you sit before or behind your your fellow worshiper, you are really reminding them and being reminded by them of what it means to wait, what it means to hope, what it means to pray. And the truth of the matter is, some of us are really good at praying but not good at hoping. Others of us are are really good at waiting, but we don't know how to form that waiting posture into language and into words and into ears that open our souls up to God. Some of us are good at one, but we need these many advents, these, these moments where we hold one another and hate one another and brighten and light up to one another as a reminder of what it means to wait to hope to pray, 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 so that when Ruth leads us in a reflection on the painful experience that comes out of this city's life this week, not just last or the next, but this week, we're reminding each other what it means to wait, to hope, to pray, to wait, to hope. Now, that's not in my notes, but that feels important to say. 
Because, because Advent is your chance not to get it right on your own. I know how to pray. I know how to wait on God. I know what it means to seek the face, not to get it right on your own, but to gather together, to come into community, and to really and truly hear the voices and the testimonies that, that are not just marginalized, but that are all together hushed and unheard. Maybe ignored, not attended to, not held, not regarded, not respected, not seen as the voice of God for us. It's interesting because where we'll go now in the, the sermon, where we'll go in the reflection of God's word, is we'll go into the life of a person who, when we listen to that lengthy narrative, that long pericope, that long, beautiful, and rich passage, he's not even mentioned directly. And I want you to hold in your soul today the parts of your life that you so far know are present but cannot mention directly. The aspects in your life with God and your fellowship with God or your sweet communion with God or your wrestling and your troubling and your upsetness with God, your discontent and dissatisfaction with God, but you can't put words to it. And I want you to ask for this guide in Joseph to, to show you a way, to show you by God's help and grace a path to see if the Holy Spirit can use less mentioned people to show something about waiting and hoping and praying. It's, it's a twist. And now, it's a twist because, because this, is a, this is a man who is used to being heard. This is a man who is not used to being unmentioned. These are sisters who are used to being unmentioned. And the twist of the season comes because Elizabeth begins to leap in her soul, the, the, the Holy Spirit filling her and, and the forerunner growing in her and Mary, the mother and bearer of God. These are the chief and primary persons in the text. We attended them and we ought to attend to them. And the twist is that the one who, say, shall we say, is most used to being heard is hardly mentioned. And so there's a strange possibility for God to twist things here for us. A strange opportunity for God to somehow take the social and the conventional and the traditional, flip it upside down, turn it inside out, and teach us something about being unmentioned or less mentioned. 
Joseph is on the cusp of quitting in his advent. You will partner this passage with Matthew 1 and with the earlier part of Luke 1 to pick most of this up. In our primary text for these weeks, we have a phrase about Joseph. And it tells us nothing. We have to go up earlier and in the other part of Scripture in earlier part of Luke and in, in Matthew to hear a little bit more about Joseph. And this text can work on us in that way. But remember from, from any knowledge you have and the hint of it here that Joseph, Joseph was, was looking for something that he found in Mary. We don't exactly know, but you know, when, when, people, when people get engaged, they're looking for something. And Joseph and Mary were engaged and and we we see him on the cusp of disengagement the power of what god is doing in his life and in his testimony hinges though on his presence god's work in this story god's work in mary elizabeth john joseph zechariah hinges on joseph staying If he quits, the story stops. Joseph begins to show us, and God, through Joseph, begins to show us that God works in us by not always working in us, but by sometimes working in others. God works in us, I hope I can say this again, by not just working in us, but by working in others. Because the immediate Work of God is not in the guy who gets a phrase. The immediate work of God in this story is not about Joseph. The immediate and manifest work of God is about other people. And somehow God uses the work in others to work on him. Somehow God uses what the Spirit is up to in Mary to disrupt Joseph. And, and, and we are used to God disrupting our lives. For those of us who love God or who follow God or who are after God or who live for God, for those of us who are Christians and followers along this way, we, we are not really surprised, especially if we have a few weeks in this way, we're not surprised that God disrupts our lives. After all, the more you think about God, the more you think about the size of God and the largeness and depth of God, the more you think about who God might be as, as if you can, it's reasonable that God would disrupt your life if God is in your life. 
That's unsurprising. It's a warning to you if you don't have God in your life, but it is unsurprising. If you want God, you want disruption. That's, that's kind of what it means to have the creator of all that is and was and will be in your life. Creation means you don't know what's coming yet. You'll see it when it comes when the word is spoken. You just get that with God. That's not really the surprising point. The surprising point, the unsettling point, is when God disrupts your life and what God is doing in their lives. The upsetting part of the Christian life is God's work isn't about what God is doing in you alone. I mean, God's not always working in you anyway. I mean, where I come from, God's always at work in you, and you know what God is going to say. You know what God is going to do. You know what God ate this morning for breakfast. You, God took two creams and three sugars and coffee. You know it because you just walk with God like that. But in real life, God's working in her life not mine. God's working in that marriage when mine ended. God's working on your job, but in our situation, we haven't even found job. God's working in your neighborhood and your schools are well resourced, but in my neighborhood, there are no open schools. God works in other people's lives. And there is that space in between where you wonder, will you work in me? Will you answer my issues? Elizabeth got what she asked for, Zechariah. He got so much of God's miracle that he couldn't even talk for months. But my, call it, psychological contention with this text is that Joseph, who was looking for something, didn't get it. You're a teacher. And something God does in the life of your student rearranges you. You're a health care giver. And something that happens in your patient's life upends yours. Maybe, maybe you're dating someone and a commitment that she made to God about her life with God impacts you. Perhaps you're a parent. Perhaps you're a parent and you lovingly and laughingly sent your children with the blessing to Kid City, but, but that child and something that God is doing in that child is affecting you. God working in others disrupts 
God and us. Now, I don't want to diminish at all what God is doing in others. I, I wanted to say last time, and, and I want to say even still now, that what God is doing in others matters. What God is doing in others is beautiful. What God is doing in Elizabeth and Mary and others like Elizabeth and Mary needs to be not just heard and respected, but formation. That, that what God does in people we generally don't talk about but are now finding a way to talk about needs to be transformational in how we talk. And the text is doing that. And I'm not taking anything away from that thrust and that intention and that very basic learning from this passage that, that Elizabeth, who finally gets to, to be recorded in Scripture, says how kind the Lord is. And that changes what we mean by worship. And that Mary, whose, whose entirety is overshadowed by God, begins to change how we think about discipleship and what it is and what it is not. I am not taking away from that. As much as I'm saying in a kind of twisted way that Joseph shows us something similar because he is less mentioned and God is working in him. There are these relational, connected, and even collateral ways that God's work impacts the underemphasized, the unquoted, the unmentioned. In this text, that's Joseph again, which is a kind of twist. But he's sitting with this notion that what God does in others impacts me. Now, I personally think this is unfair of God. I don't think it is right. I don't think that it is reasonable where God will not just touch you directly, but will touch and push you uh, because of others. I, I don't think that that makes a lot of sense, and I'm still talking to God about my part in this sermon, where I'm sitting with what this means and my views of unfairness, and God has gone on beyond that, but still somehow is listening to me. But I think we, we, need, to, we need to hear from this guide, what does it mean? First, I have, I have three words. The first word is that it means nightmares. Now, you do need the other parts of the scripture that I mentioned really to sort of fully appreciate this, but, but God's work is the stuff of dreams and nightmares. In the other portions of scripture, Luke earlier in chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, Joseph has this angelic visit. And this, this was after he learned that Mary's body had been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. The angel came and told Joseph not to leave Mary. Now, I used to work here and at this church. And when I worked at this church, I used to meet lots of couples who were 
dating and getting engaged or dating and deciding not to get engaged or being engaged and getting ready for marriage. And, and uh, a lot of things in my life has changed since I did that work. And a lot of things have changed about relationships since I started doing that kind of work. I mean, there are things now that I, like, don't understand and have to learn how to understand and new words and terms and ways of being. But, but one thing I think is still true, and that is that, that couples that are coming to the matter of engagement uh, have a basic value of commitment to each other. So that when you intend to marry, uh, and again, there's some asterisk in somebody's notes uh, uh, about this, uh, even still, because the notion of what that means could be debated. But, 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 but there's a basic understanding and a value of commitment that, that if we're going to marry, we're going to commit to each other. And I take this back to this text because Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary. And I'm pretty sure, especially since the terms and ways that are, that are coming into fashion with us were certainly not into fashion when Joseph and Mary were getting to, to, to the idea of marriage, that Joseph and Mary had understanding between them. And that there's something about their commitment to each other that came up. When Mary uh, was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, imagine, imagine Joseph. He's a carpenter, right? He's in construction. He's working. He comes. Uh, we don't know Mary's job. We know Mary's probably pretty young, uh, but we know uh, that they're intending to be married and that betrothal or engagement really looked a lot like marriage at the time. There were very few things that would differentiate a married couple from an engaged couple when you use this language. So imagine the conversation when Joseph says, well, Mary, how was your day today? <laughs> Well, Joey, <laughs> something I want to talk to you about. Nightmares. You meet the woman of your dreams, and somehow those dreams turn to nightmares. You meet the man of your dreams and somehow those dreams turn to nightmares. And so, so, so here, here Joey gets this information from Mary and God begins to work on him. And when this practical guy, when this, you know, constructive person who, who thinks through things and draws up plans and strategizes the building and the recreation of this, that, and the other, when he can't put it together, God goes into his dream. 
Now, I think that thinkers and builders need dreams because I think God uses dreams, but, 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 but I don't want to stay with how God comes in dreams as much as I want to say that when you can't put it together, what God is doing in others and therefore you somehow, when you can't put that together, God will go into the places and forms that help you make more sense of what doesn't make sense. That, that, that when your brain cannot in a conscious way during the day figure it out, there is some kind of sleep, there is some kind of fall, there is some kind of state that you go in, in the text, Joseph is sleeping and dreaming, but in your life it might not be that, but, but, but there is a way that God will reach you to help you make more sense of the nonsensical. And the question is, what is that for you? And you've got to ask that. You've got to pray that question after the sermon today. You have to ask, how has the Spirit led in my life so far? How has the Holy Spirit broken into my understanding or my misunderstandings in my life so far? Because if it is not a dream, it won't be a dream. It will generally be what it has always been. So how has God gotten to you when you couldn't be gotten to? Now, now, don't misunderstand Joseph's angelic dream because it's a nightmare. It's a snapshot of how much soul work was in front of this man. We don't know if he had more than one dream. I like to play with the text, and I like to say maybe this was his first dream. Maybe this was just the dream where the angel said, don't leave her. There's some explanation, but the explanation, if you look in the earlier part of the chapter, the explanation isn't at all about Joseph. It's about Jesus. So, so in my mind, as I play with the text, I think, well, we know he has a dream, and we know that the angel comes to him in a dream, but this couldn't have been the only dream. Maybe it was the first one, maybe it was the middle one, maybe it was the last one, I'm not sure. But there have to be other dreams because Joseph is in the middle of a nightmare and God wants us to have good dreams. This is a nightmare where the angel just says, don't do this. Now, we'll get to that in a minute. He said, don't do this, but he didn't tell him how to not do this. Don't leave, Mary. Well, how do I stay under these conditions? Nightmares. Second one I'm getting to now. Questions. Everybody say, hold on. Everybody say. You hear that? Everybody say questions. Now, I'm taking some liberties here because Joseph doesn't get a line in the text, so we don't know what he's asking, right? We don't know what he's asking, but what we do know is if we were in this situation, we'd be asking a whole lot of questions. 
See, so this is not really the Joseph part. This is the I know this would have been in Joseph's mind part. This, this is the part where you and I come closer to this text and we see that, that there have to be deeply held issues here. And I'm not even going to deal with this point because I got to close. That's the first time I'm going to say this. Um, but, 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 but what I do want to say is that when the Bible doesn't give us Joseph's questions, it's not because Joseph doesn't have questions. When the text of Scripture doesn't outline the interior experience of Mary or Elizabeth, it's not because they don't have interior experiences that we ought to search ourselves with. When the text of Scripture leaves openings, it's for you to get into those openings. When little cracks in windows and doors are open into the text because you've met somebody who was engaged or you've been in a relationship yourself or you want to be in a relationship or, you, or you're coming out of a painful something, you know that there are questions. Somebody tell me to preach. Thank you. I just, at least I can say once they said preach. Come on. You know that there are questions. when you don't write them down. You know that your soul aches when you don't tell anybody about it. Joseph can be a guide for people who have questions, who have nightmares, Lastly, explanations. God did not give Joseph the entire rundown. We have no record of the angel telling Joseph why his presence was important. So I want to talk to you who has been saying, God, why am I in this? Why have you not let me out of this? Why, 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 why? Now, this might not be true in the season of Lent, but in the season of Advent, Joseph did not get an explanation. Again, this is one of the things I don't like about God. It's one of the things I think is deeply unfair. It's one of the things I'm still talking to God about today. Now, Joseph, as I said, Joseph gets explanations about what's happening in Mary. She's holding God, very God. That's great for Mary. That's, I mean, Mary now has a kind of credibility that people hundreds and hundreds of years later will be talking about. That is amazing for Mary. I mean, she's right up there with the Trinity. She's like number four. That is amazing. Mary, I am celebrating you. I am in your corner with that, Mary. That is great. 
What does that mean for me? I had a whole dream with an angel when in the entire Bible, angels only come. Calm down, Michael. Mm, they don't know. Just, mm. In the entire Bible, you can count on no more than two hands how many of these events come up when an angel comes or when God directly meets an individual. And that happened to me, and I still don't know why I'm going through this. You don't think it's fair either. Somebody say amen. You don't think that's fair. Joseph gets a command, but no explanation. You want me to stay in chaos, but you don't explain why. You want me to commit to a situation that is unacceptable, and you know it, and you don't tell me You ask me to stick around when others are jumping ship, bailing. And God does not answer such wonderings. They are real. But in this story, in his life, God only says so much. Now, later, just so you know, if this encourages you, other people are going to be preaching about you. Other people are going to be talking about you. Other people will have the notes that you don't have. We learn, for example, that Joseph is in royal lines. And we learn that his presence makes the story at least on one side of this two-sided nature where this person, Jesus, is fully human, Mary's baby, fully divine, locked into the divine nature that comes from the divine promise that is connected to a royal line. But Joseph doesn't know that. Sarah, come on up. I mean, Carl. Uh, come on. Joseph doesn't get this explanation. And, and, and. I want to say to you that the restraint of God, when you have questions, when you have nightmares, when you have situations that are clearly not what you meant when you said, God, give me her, the restraint of God is never easy. Because, because God's leadership comes without the full picture. This is not a great commercial for life with God. <laughs> Joseph probably doesn't come across as royal. I mean, he's in a whole other field. You know, he's not in the family business. 
We don't know if he's a second, a third, an adopted cousin. I mean, we don't really know. He's, he's needed in immeasurable ways. But he's living nightmare to nightmare. I mean, 10 months is a long time. Is it nine months, 10 months, you know, full term? We don't know if Jesus was a preemie. But I mean, even then, seven months, long time. To see your hopes and your expectations and your wonderings about why God is doing something over there to go unanswered. And, and church, the objective is to get to the point where we can trust the leadership when we can't explain the leadership. And it's not abusive because God is talking to this man. The company of the Spirit is there. So you know he's still listening. You know you're where God put you because God said, don't go. You just don't know how long you have to be thirsty for this or hungry for that or unresolved about this or when that's going to change and when this is going to finish and when this is going to open and when that's going to close. You don't doubt that that was an angel. You don't doubt that that's what God said. You don't doubt that. It's not about doubting that. It's about doubting how you do the staying. It's about doubting how you stay in the midst with less explanations than our ideal. Close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to do something that may feel completely appropriate or that may feel a little risky for you. And that is to let this invitation settle on you and to, as a congregation, one at a time, to utter. You don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. But to utter the unanswered thing. And you're doing it in our hearing, so you don't want to tell the whole story. We don't want you to tell the whole, this is a long passage. You don't have to write your whole passage. But if you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, God, that means this part of my life. I'm going to ask that over the next moment while, while Carlton plays, and we, we eventually will sing, that you just say out loud what that thing is. What a word, a phrase, what that nightmare is about. Perhaps it is the loneliness in my soul. Perhaps it is something at work. Those are those kinds of phrases. So just let this rest with you and offer it up so that we can hope with you, wait with you, pray with you.
anyone else want to say? Name it, church. We offer these things, these spoken things and even unspoken things. We wait for you. We hope in you. We pray. We worship you.